Amen. What a joy it is to be here to attend this conference. I believe, Harold, it's been since 2019 that I have been here, and wow, it has grown. And I'm so thankful to see the many faces that I do recognize and those, uh, those of whom I do not recognize, but I'm thankful to how the Lord has grown this conference, and probably after my preaching, it may dwindle back down, but uh, no, I do want to thank the church for hosting this conference and uh, thank the pastor. It's a joy to meet him just a while ago, and wasn't the food tremendous? Absolutely. You can tell that that bologna was not Oscar Mayer bologna, was it? That was some good stuff right there, I promise you. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, and as you are turning there, I will say that you know that this is the first book of the total of three that are known as the pastoral epistles. It is in this first epistle that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, reminding him of the charge that he gave him to remain in Ephesus. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says to him, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia to remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that that they teach no other doctrine. So in this time, since Paul has started this church, false teachers have crept in. False doctrine was beginning to be preached and taught. And it's, uh, it's really an amazing thing that even after such a glorious beginning, even after uh, such a glorious start as you read in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19 that in just a span of around 10 years, false teachers have come in and preaching another gospel, a false gospel. And so Paul has now commissioned and charged his son in the faith, Timothy, to straighten things out. And I know many of you pastors know how difficult it is to straighten some things out. Very tough, difficult task that Timothy would have there in Ephesus, even as a young man. So Paul gives Timothy here uh, some instructions, but he also gives Timothy some encouragement, and this is what I pray that this message will be to you this evening, a word of encouragement. Let's read the word together. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 11. Paul says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, 
blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power and all of God's people said. Let's pray together. Our Father, we humbly bow in your presence. We thank you, Lord, once again for these men, these pastors and their dear families who are with them. Father, I pray that these days of fellowshipping and the moment sitting under the preaching of your word, Lord, would be used for your glory and, and for their edification, that they would be built up in your word, that they who have come in, who are weary and tired, and Father, that you would give them the sustenance that only you can provide for them through your precious word. Father, once again, we ask your blessings upon this remainder of this evening. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure that you are familiar with the latest Barna Group survey it came out just, I believe it was in April of this year, that some 42% of pastors within this last year have seriously thought about and considered leaving full-time ministry. 42%. Most of that uh, is due, to, no doubt, to still dealing with the fallout of the pandemic and all of the shakeup, you could say, that happened in many of our churches. Uh, not only that, but we think about the politics of the day and how divisive our country is at this very moment. Uh, we are facing things that we have never faced before. It's new to us, but it is not new to mankind. But nevertheless, there are those here, as I am here, that have gone through a time of discouragement, time of difficulty, having uh, your, your heart ripped out from you by those of whom you love. Very difficult season the last two years in my ministry. And I know that this is true for you, or many of you. Now, I've already preached this message to myself. But if you don't mind, I'm going to preach it to myself again. Because there's some messages that's, that are just worth repeating. But I, I pray, I want to preach to you on this thought taken from the old hymn, Rise Up, O Men of God. Rise Up, O Men of God. There's four things I want us to notice 
we think about that thought. Number one, notice this. Rise up, O men of God, and be encouraged. Rise up, O men of God, and be encouraged. He says there in verse 11, But you, O man of God. When we think about that title, the man of God, we remember there of who you are. Remember who you are. We should never forget who we are. And we should never just gloss by this title given here. We should meditate upon it. He says, but you, O man of God. The word you there is a stark contrast to the sum that was mentioned in the previous verse. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're not like the others. You're not in this for worldly gain. You're not in this for fame or, or for, for money. You are in this because you are a man of God. All oh, the title here, man of God, is simple. And we use it a, a lot, really failing to see the richness of it and failing to see the profoundness of that title. We know that the phrase man of God is somewhat a common title in the Old Testament, but it is not a common title in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Timothy is the only person in the New Testament that is given this title. And I believe the title man of God was used by Paul intentionally to encourage Timothy. He used it intentionally to motivate young Timothy. The title man of God was intentionally motivating because it was a customary title for the great leaders of Israel to whom Timothy was very well acquainted with through the Old Testament scriptures. The phrase man of God first appears in our Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 1 where it is described, uh, described to Moses. It says that Moses was a man of God. It's also mentioned in, uh, in Judges chapter 13 when Samson's mother saw an angel of the Lord and described him to her husband as a man of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the prophet who came to denounce Eli, the careless priest, was called a man of God. As was the prophet who came to Bethel to pronounce God's judgment to Jeroboam and his uh, golden calf cult, 1 Kings 13. Elijah was called a man of God. And so every time the title was used in the Old Testament, it was used to point out a man, a specific man, a certain man, who represents God by proclaiming his word. And one who is in God's service, and one who represents God and speaks in his name. And so by Paul calling young Timothy a man of God, Paul places Timothy into that rich Old Testament tradition of those 
who, like himself, was responsible to preach the word of God. And beloved, we know this evening that this title did not die with Timothy. No, no, all those who have been called by God into the gospel ministry are men of God. So as we continue to think upon this title, Man of God, we must not look past the first word, man. Because it is in that word, man, that we are reminded that we are nothing more than mere mortals who are robed in flesh. It speaks of those who are made from the dust, and one day from dust we shall return. And so the word man speaks of our fra- uh, frailty, our frailty. Uh, Psalm 103 and verse 14 tells us this, that God knows our frame, he knows our form, that we are made, that uh, he remembers that we are nothing but dust. He knows our frailty. He knows that we get tired. He knows that we get weary. He knows that we get discouraged. He knows that at times we may even get depressed. This is seen in the life of Elijah. Remember after Elijah's great victory on Mount uh, Mount Carmel uh, over the prophets of Baal. And rain once again fell upon the land and 1 Kings chapter number 18. Elijah had thought a great revival had broken out. Elijah thought that he would never be once again having this turmoil with, with he and King Ahab and Jezebel. But we read in 1 Kings 19 that in spite of that victory, Elijah went through a major time of depression. He went through a series of a a season in his life where where he was wavering in his faith. And no doubt Elijah was hopeful that because God uh, did what he did on Mount Carmel, that Ahab and Jezebel would turn to God in repentance. However, as you know the story, Jezebel vowed to kill Elijah. And when Elijah heard this news, The Bible tells us that he fled to the wilderness. He sat under a tree and he prayed for God to take his life. The word man speaks of our frailty. It speaks about our emotions and our sometimes our mentality is not as stable as we like it sometimes. The man of God The word man there speaks of not only our frailty, but it speaks about our dependence. We see this in how God ministered to Elijah. Isn't it amazing how the Lord ministered to Elijah, how he used an angel to make him cakes and make him food and water to drink? Oh, listen, Elijah found out that more than any other thing, what he needed was God himself. He needed God. You, pastor, friend, listen to me. You need God. 
You are frail. You are dependent. Do not rely upon yourself. Do not rely upon your church. You rely upon solely upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. So Elijah found out that more than anything that he needed God. I tell you, beloved, it was a great day in my ministry when I realized that God doesn't need me. I need him. God doesn't, God doesn't need anything, but he certainly doesn't need me. But I certainly need him. Remember who you are, a man. But then notice this, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Uh, this title, man of God, is, is very expressive as it signifies a man who belongs to God. Uh, the title denotes those who, uh, denotes, uh, who have sole possession. It denotes those uh, who has sole authority. And we see this in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, let me say that there, are, there is some debate as to which calling is inferred here in this particular passage. Uh, is Paul speaking about the effectual call that uh, goes out to the sinner, that draws the sinner unto himself and then unto Jesus Christ, and then that individual uh, publicly identifies himself. He confesses his salvation through a believer's baptism in the presence of many. Or is Paul referring to Timothy's call into the ministry and then Timothy giving evidence of his call publicly through ordination? Now, I'll let you theologians discuss that. I'll let you decide for yourself. But as for me, I believe it is the latter. I believe it is the latter. But either way, here's the point. You belong to God. You are a man of God. It shows our, uh, who, who has sole possession, who has sole authority. You are his possession. He has called you into the ministry. You did not enlist. You were divinely drafted. He called you. Do you remember how the prophet Amos gave testimony to his call into the prophet ministry? Amos said this, speaking to Amaziah, the prophet. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am no, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And then it says this, Amos says, Then the Lord took me, then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. 
the Lord. Amos was minding his own business. He was gathering sycamore uh, fruit. He was shepherding a, a flock of sheep. But all of a sudden, the Lord took him, seized him, gave him a command, called him out, and sent him to preach his word. Oh, listen, it is a sacred privilege to be identified as God's personal possession, a privilege that carries with it, obviously, grave responsibilities. The title, Man of God, was used by Paul to be, again, intentionally motivating, encouraging. It was used to increase Timothy's sense of responsibility to carry out his ministry. All of this was important for Timothy to consider being that Timothy faced, as I said, a very difficult job in Ephesus as he was attempting to restore truth. He was attempting to restore order uh, to a church that, had, a church that had lost its way. And so his ministry was not that of a church planter. His ministry was that of a church revitalizer. You could say that his job as... His ministry was that of a reformer. Now, there are many pros and cons to starting a church. I know there's a lot of difficulty that I would never know. But I tell you, reforming a church is very, very tough. It's very hard. Timothy needed to know, he needed to know whose he belonged to, to whom he belonged to. Listen, because you belong to God, because you are God's possession, Paul goes on in verse 11, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. That is, flee from the things that characterize false teachers that Paul has just described in the previous verses. Flee the false teaching that he's, he mentions in verse 3. Uh, flee from petty controversies and quarrels. In verse 4, flee di uh, divisive talk. In verses 4 and 5, flee the religious delusion that, that, uh, that imagines godliness is a means to uh, having financial gain. In verse 5. But notice the tense of the word is to keep fleeing from these things. To keep fleeing. So this speaks of a continual fleeing from these things. This is not a one-time fleeing at the point when you surrender to the Lord's calling upon your life. No, this is, as one writer put it, a constant evasive action. You are to flee from these things today, and you are to flee from these things tomorrow, and you are to flee from these things next week and next year. It does not matter how long you have been a pastor, you are to flee these things. But we're also to pursue certain things. Paul knows that if you're going to run from something, that logically then you are going to be running towards something. 
So if that is the case, make sure that where you are running is in the right direction. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to flee from those things that I've mentioned, but don't run away aimlessly. Run toward, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, love, and patience, and gentleness. Of course, all of these qualities that Paul mentions are really just a condensed version of the qualifications of a pastor. And if you're going to be the pastor that God has called you to be, you're going to have to exemplify these qualifications. You're going to have to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith. You're going to have to love your people. You're going to have to love the Lord your God. You're going to have to love his word. You're going to have to have patience with your people. You're going to have to be gentle with your people. All rise up, old man of God, and be encouraged. Notice, secondly, rise up, O men of God, and be courageous. Be courageous. Verse 12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. So we see that the man of God is to fight. Now, what is the man of God to fight over? Well, he is to fight for the faith. He is to fight uh, over Orthodox Christianity. He is to fight for the fundamentals of the gospel, the fundamental doctrine, the fundamental of the faith. And so the faith is the body of doctrine about salvation in Christ that was taught by the apostles and obviously recorded for us in the New Testament. And as Jude says, we must earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Beloved, in other words, what Paul is saying is this, that sound doctrine does not preserve itself. It does not preserve itself. It must be defended and one of your callings as one, one of your roles as a shepherd is to defend the doctrines of the faith and the word Paul uses for fighting in the Greek word is a Greek word that uh, speaks of striving and struggling we get our English word agony from the Greek word that is used here the word sometimes refers to an athletic competition such as a boxing match or a wrestling tournament. Here it may also be taken in a military sense, especially since it echoes a very similar command from the very beginning of this letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. But what this means, rather obviously, is that there are times when Christians, when pastors will have to fight. You will have to struggle. You will have to strive for the faith. Now, obviously, we're not to be belligerent. Paul just told us and that we're to pursue gentleness. But there is, however, a fight to be fought. 
And every loyal soldier in Christ's army must fight it. I believe it was Calvin who said that Christ calls all his servants to warfare. Christ calls all of his servants to warfare. Listen, it is never a pleasant thing to fight, but there are some things worth fighting for. Now, what makes a a fight good is a good cause, right? And we as pastors, as men of God, have the highest cause. And that is for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So a gospel minister must defend the faith. He must fight for the infallibility and inerrancy of the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. Maintaining that the Bible is the Word of God. He must fight for the deity of Jesus Christ. Maintaining that Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. He must fight for the the depravity of man, that every man is lost and in sin, born in sin. He must fight for the holiness of God, maintaining that God will judge the world in righteousness one day. He must fight for the efficacy of the substitutionary atonement, maintaining that Christ died on the cross in place of sinners. He must fight for the bodily resurrection, maintaining that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Oh, listen, from beginning to end, he must fight for the sovereignty of God's grace, maintaining that salvation is the choice and the gift of God to the praise of his glory. The fight for such truths is the good fight the faith. How many of you know, you pastors know that the fighting, the struggling, the striving is tiresome. It's wearisome. It is wearisome and it is tiresome because it is constant. I have been a pastor for over 20 years. And I don't know a period or a season in my life that I've not been at some point fighting for the faith. Even in in the churches where I serve. But because it is so tiresome, you need to understand that as a man of God, then you don't have to be involved in every fight. Now, this is something that I have had to learn the hard way. There are some fights that are needful. There are some fights that are noble. But that does not mean that every fight is necessary. In 2017, our community where I pastor was going to have a millage increase, a property tax 
increase to fund uh, the public schools. It was going to be a 5.7 mil increase, which would be about a 12 to 13% increase in property taxes. I was talking to a city leader uh, one day, and he, I was telling him, hey, I, I'm not for this. This is, this is crazy. We're already paying enough as it is, and you're wanting us to, to pay for more. Well, he said this right here. He said, well, look, let me tell you what's going to happen. You are going to pay more in taxes because this is going to pass. And something just clicked in me, Harold. My competitive nature kicked in, and under my breath, I was like, oh, no, I won't be. Well, from that point on, I was the de facto leader on the opposition side that led the county or the our community, our school uh, uh, community to vote. And we came out in record numbers and voted it down. It was not even close. But in that time, for three months, I lost sleep. I was weary. I lost church members. I lost uh, a lot of credibility because I was fighting a fight that, yes, may have been noble, may have been good. I don't believe in paying in high taxes. But it wasn't my fight to fight. It wasn't the good fight. And the Lord had to humble me Help me to realize that even though there are many great fights and many good causes, not every cause is a fight that you need to be involved in. We are men of God, and we should only be involved in those fights that pertain to our faith. You say, Brother Wade, how do you know which fights are the fights that you should be involved in? Well... Verse 12 tells us. Verse 12 says, fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That's how. Paul admonishes Timothy to lay hold or to get a firm grip on eternal things. So that he would live and minister in the light of eternity. And so the man of God is to set his mind on heavenly things, not earthly things, knowing that our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, listen, rise up, O oh men of God, and be courageous. Notice thirdly, quickly, rise up, O oh men of God, and be faithful. Be faithful. He says in verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless unto, uh, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Oh, the command that Paul is speaking of here is the command for Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. 
to constantly be fighting for the faith and to preach the saith the Lord. Timothy was to keep this commitment uh, by not only proclaiming the word and by protecting the word, but he was to keep this commitment by persevering no matter what the cost would be. I love verse 13 where Paul reminds Timothy, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. It is God who gives life. It is God who sustains life. It is God who preserves life. It is God who maintains life. That applies to us individually, spiritually. The work that the Lord has started in you, He will perform it. He will complete it. He who has given you life, He who has quickened you, made your spirit alive, He will keep it. But oh, what a great promise this could be to your local church. where there seems to be no life at all, where there seems to be no move of God, how we must remember that God is the one who gives life. It's His church. He maintains it, and He will sustain it as He sustains and strengthens you. Oh, rise up, O men of God, and be found faithful. I may not be able to be a lot of things, but there's one thing I can be, and that's faithful. It doesn't take any special gift. It doesn't take any special talent. We all can be found faithful. And notice lastly as we close, Rise up, rise up, O men of God, and be confident. Be confident, not in ourselves. Oh, no. Verse 15 tells us, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and the only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. All in this, I believe Paul is reminding Timothy that Timothy, Caesar is not Lord. Things are tough, but Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the only potentate. He is the only sovereign. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day, Nero, Pontius Pilate, or any other government leader, king or queen, one day will kneel down before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
That's where our confidence comes from. There's victory because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I say as the old hymn says, Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God. The church for you doth wait. Your strength unequal to the task, but Christ in you is great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. Our Father, I thank you, Lord, for this conference. I thank you, Lord, for this evening. And I pray that tonight that you would use your word for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the edification of all those who are here. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to have faith. Increase our faith, Lord. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.